everybody, get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast. This is an auspicious day. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Nick, if you remember, but we started our first show on this day 13 years ago. We're entering our It's our bar mitzvah. It's our bar mitzvah. Thank you. We have, uh, I don't know, what do you think about 120 people in studio with us today? (laughs) And um, um, stop clapping. All right, enough. And uh, we're going to have a great show. Uh, We're being joined today by a lot of uh, really interesting folks. Of course, uh, uh, Deb Moser from Central Farm Markets is on to talk about what's happening with the markets as, uh, as Halloween and Thanksgiving and all those things approach. John Agre is the founder of Din Din. You probably heard about it. It's a really brilliant response to... Well, you heard about it because he's been on our show before. I know, but I'm saying... And also, it's all over the list, are you on it, Doc? I know, but not... But I know the list is impressive, but so is the (laughs) Post and TV and all that. Uh But this is a, a new way for you to enjoy the talents of a lot of different chefs food truck operators, and home cooks, because you can order from local chefs and have their food delivered to your doorstep. And the cool thing is you can order, your, you can sort of compose, custom compose your dinner uh, with foods from different chefs and have it all delivered. Uh, you know that the uh, broken global supply chain was brought on by the uh, uh, COVID pandemic, and it's really torn the lid off, um, uh, really, how much we need a more resilient food system, um, uh, sustaining the earth, providing nutritious foods for everybody. Uh, DMV Food Recovery Week is October 4th through 9th. Uh, Mana's director of programs, Jenna Umbriak. Mana. Huh? Mana. You said Mana. Well, Mana sounds a little bit more educated, don't you think? Yeah, but it's Mana. Mana. Mana from the heavens. I'm not from Jersey. Okay. Mana's (laughs) director of programs, Jenna Umbriak. Well, I have another thing about Mana. But anyways, and they've got this program going from October 4th to 9th. They're going to talk about how to support farms and farmers, reduce food waste, and okay, lots more. This is more. the longest intro ever. So Can you what? Please move on. It's my show. Okay. Um, Luis Sayrolls from uh, Santee Foods is uh, really into something very interesting. He's out of Houston. It's keto-friendly meringue cookies with, and I wish I had a drum roll, CBD in there. So let's sit back, relax, eat, eat more. Right. You don't get high on CBD. No. Too bad, but they're delicious. We've tried them. This fall, the National LGBT Chamber of Karmas, in partnership with Grubhub and more than 30 of the NGLCC's local affiliate chambers, are going to come to the rescue of many of America's struggling LGBTQ plus owned restaurants and bars serving food on a first ever grant program uh, to give them a financial lifeline. Sabrina Kent is the senior VP at the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. And she's going to join us to share those important details. But Feist, mm-hmm. the glamorous, the ever lovely Deborah Moser from Central Farm Markets. Hi, Deb. Deb. And Good. I want to say something. You guys Good have been a sponsor of this show for for decades. 
No. Well, a decade plus. <laughs> you, but you have been a sponsor of the show. For a hell of a long time. Which has always right. been tr- really fantastic, and we love this partnership. So thank you and so much. And we love your show, and congratulations on 13 years. Thank you. Thank and I you. love you, Deb. <laughs> okay. okay. So tell us about the markets these days. Well, they're still there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's Deb, good. that's not a lot of information. Let's move on. Come on. No, we're we're having a lot of fun. As as a lot of people know, today is the last day, of, the official last day, as one of my patrons reminded me, of uh, Oktoberfest. So you want to get out to the markets and get those bratwursts and the cabbages and the sauerkraut and have yourself a ball because there's so much good stuff right now. Um, wait, 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 wait. I'm totally confused. Today is the last day last of Oktoberfest? Yes, but we can still celebrate I was going to say, mo- the there's like Oktoberfest going on all throughout October. I they don't know, know that I it's know. over, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a patron that reminded me officially. It officially. Started you know what, Deb, 10. just tell them, Volunzi, Ina, Hatasha, Kaufman, okay? Exactly. Right. Go so, ahead. you want to buy a purse. Right. We are celebrating all, all through October. We always do, and we have lots of good things. The pumpkins have started showing up. Um, and lots of good foods and, and broccoli. There was some gorgeous broccoli the other day. You know, in the fall, vegetables come in. It's a nice change. Apples. Mm-hmm. We've got great apple cider. Um, you name it. We've got the fall in stock. Can we talk about ornamental gourds? Because sure. I really don't like the change of seasons. I like summer. But now that we're here in fall, the only thing I like about fall is ornamental gourds. <laughs> so well, they, you see our house. Our house looks like a witch's house. <laughs> no, it does. No, they're a lot of they're a lot of fun. You can do a lot of things with them. Mm-hmm. Um, put them on your table, you know, as a centerpiece. Um, some kids like to actually make little turkey animals out of them for Thanksgiving. Sure. Um, Honestly, you've made earrings out of them, haven't you? Okay. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can you can do all sorts of things with them, but they're really they're beautiful. They come in all sorts of shapes, mm-hmm. colors, sizes. Uh, they make a great photograph at the market when they're in their bins, just overflowing with all those colors and. Well, not only um, that, what about like there's those gourds with like the peanuts on the, you know, like the, it's like a peanut pumpkin. It looks like it's covered in peanuts. Right, right. Yeah, they have all sorts of textures to them. Mm-hmm. So um, they really make a nice display and uh, it's fun to decorate. And I'm like you, I hate to see summer go, but mm-hmm. my next favorite season is fall. Excellent. Okay, so, so Deb, I know there's a change for the market next week in Bethesda of where it's going to be. Can you right. tell everybody so, what the deal is? Uh, be, due to the Bethesda Arts Festival, we are moving the Bethesda Central Farm Market to the parking lot of the Women's Farm Market mm-hmm. on Wisconsin Avenue. That's a great so we spot. We will be there regular times, 9 to one thirty. Okay. And then back the next week. Okay, great. All right, tell everybody where they can find information about everything going on at Central Farm Markets. Uh, Just contact us, look us up at centralfarmmarkets.com. Great, thanks, Deb. Thank you so much. All right, John Agri, let's turn to John. Hi, John. Hi, how are you all? Good. Thank you so much for joining us in studio today. I'm in studio. This I know. Really I cool. know. This is real cool, man. Really cool. So let's talk about Din Din. So the the COVID hits, everybody's freaking out. Nobody wants to leave the house, uh, and nobody's going to restaurants, and you have an idea. Yes. So we're talking August 2020, so it's mm-hmm. been a little over a year, and I'm sitting around the house like most of us, and I'm 
thinking about this whole war effort against coronavirus and what I can do about it, you know, my thinking was, you know, what can I tell my grandkids someday? 20, mm-hmm. 30, 40 years. No, that Donald from, Trump pooched it. But <laughs> other than you know, that. You know, Grandpa, what did you do during the war effort? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I looked across the landscape and I saw restaurants shuttering. And my wife and I are foodies. You know, we've been to probably every restaurant in town. And most of these restaurants were closing. But worse yet, there was no rescue capital coming in. I wasn't hearing the federal government talking about bailing them out, right? Mm-hmm. So what I did was... Um, created a legal personality August of 2020 called Indian. And then I immediately uh, started to convene 58 focus groups over a two-month period via Zoom. I talked to soccer moms. I talked to single dads. I talked to 19-year-old students. I talked to families that have six, seven, eight kids in the home ranging in age from two to 20. We wanted to get a sense of the marketplace. And what I, you know, I talked to chefs that have been laid off. Mm-hmm. And uh, what came out of that whole rich experience was Dindin becoming a dual marketplace online where on the sell side, we're helping displace chefs. They're losing their mind and, and rescue capital is not coming anytime soon. So how do we keep their passion for cooking alive, but at the same time, take the friction out of the other aspects of the business, right? So that's getting the customer they otherwise wouldn't have, um, getting the order to them, obviously, curating sort of a virtual food court in a box, right, where customers on the buy side can pick and choose, right, pick Mm -hmm. and choose what you want, and we're not on demand, right? So this is about a family being intentional about what they're going to eat next week as a family and getting them some of their time back. You know, when I was a kid growing up, um, you know, if I went out to play with you guys, you know, we were 14 years old, my mom would ask me, you know, where are you going, John? And I would say, well, I'm going to hang out with Nikki and David and she would say, yeah, you can play all day. Just make sure you were home in time for Din Din. Right. And, oh. <laughs> and, and, we, and we all knew what that meant, right? And she'd say, well, if David or Nikki want to come over, make sure their mom calls me to make sure it's well, okay. Nikki would have been very busy at the mall shopping. <laughs> but. Okay. So, um, so, you know, we've been, like any other startup, you know, working through the pains of a startup. We've got some wonderful customers. Uh, we thought by now, since we're all moonlighting uh, this concept, that we'd be at 500 families signed up. We just passed 1,600 families Whoa. earlier this week. So, well, so can we back up for a second, John? Because sure. wow. there's so much going on here. You sure. know, it has a lot of tentacles. You have uh, the demand side and the supply side. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the demand side first. Right. You have a family or a couple, and they want to order food for a night or a week or whatever. Let's talk about that process sure. first. So you go to eatdindin.com. Mm-hmm. There will be a federation of chefs online. They're cooking out of commercial kitchens. So there are some states in this country that have cottage laws that will allow you to cook out of your home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not doing that at okay. Dindin. You know, we're really about the concierge bespoke experience. Mm-hmm. You know, our customers, based on our polling, they're shopping at places like Wegmans, Whole Foods, Harris Teeter. They want a fine culinary experience but they know that going back to the restaurants as they used to is probably gone for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. And so they want that experience into their home and they want a couple of days back or a couple of evenings back and not have to think about sourcing meals or cooking. Mm-hmm. So you go to our platform and you can pick and choose a la carte which chef and which meals under that chef you want us to curate, put in the red din din box, make sure that it's cooled below 41 degrees right? Because it has to be for food safety purposes. And then we have a wonderful partnership with Rest in Limousine. Mm. Uh, and they come and they pick up 
and they'll deliver it to your home. It's really bespoke. And when you look at the economics of it against running around like a chicken with your head cut off, ordering from some other restaurants I won't mention, and paying these third-party delivery places like DoorDash, Grubhub, mm-hmm. we're very, very competitive, but it's an upscale experience. Well, well but it is. A, so then let's talk about how you brought in the chef side of it. You know what I want to do is take a quick break and we come back. Let's dig into that, okay? Sure. This is David and Nikki Nellis. 13 years, Foodie and the Beast. It's a big anniversary. Uh, do you have your din-din? We'll find out more when we get back. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to John Agre about din-din. Uh, John, the, the question I have is it's one thing to have this great idea, and it is. It's another to put the opera, you know, to come up with the process and put the whole thing in motion and have the chefs, chefs that people want to get food from and all of that. So how did all that work? Yeah, well, first of all, you got to pull together a wonderful team. And I'm very fortunate. I've got a great group. We've got uh, eight, ten, ten folks on our staff. They're wonderful. Uh, we're very passionate about the mission. It's mm-hmm. not just a job when we wake up in the morning. Uh, in terms of curating chefs, um, our approach, at least currently, is to partner with ghost kitchens around town. And there are a bunch of them. There are and a lot There are a lot kitchens. of them uh, around. And that's pre-pandemic. There were a lot of ghost kitchens before the pandemic. Correct. And there are also catering companies that have been hit hard. Mm. You know, there are catering companies that pre-pandemic were doing 15, 20, 30 million dollars in revenue. And during this window of time have been slammed down to 4 million if they're Mm -hmm. lucky. So, you know, we're here not just for the ghost kitchens. uh, We're also here for food truck operators. We're also here for catering companies, Mm -hmm. uh, private chefs, anybody who wants an extension of what they do to a broader market, we're here to take the friction out. You do the cooking, we'll take care of everything else. We'll get you a customer you otherwise would not have gotten, and we'll curate the meals and we'll get it to the door. We'll they pay the for their own sourcing and all of that? All of the ingredients and everything is baked into the retail price they, gotcha. that they okay. post. And what makes us unique from anyone else out there, because we do have competition, is that in our current model, 100% of the meal price that you see on our site goes to the chef. So we're really about, So you're not taking anything from the chef. We're not taking anything from the chef's side. Uh-huh. I mean, the whole purpose of this journey was to empower chefs. Well, so are you are you making your money on delivery? Where where do you make your money? So in our focus group, great question. So in our focus group, what, one of the questions we asked and we got a resounding response to is, listen, John, if you can give me quality meals prepared out of commercial kitchens by professional chefs, not hobbyists, I don't mind paying you your service fee as opposed to you gouging it out of the chefs, right? Well, and I and think so, a lot of people will pay for quality. Quality. Well, they right? appreciate and, that, and too. And I, I, one of the things that people heard so much during the pandemic was, you know, we learned so much about the restaurant industry and its razor-thin margins and and how it works. And so and I, uh, people getting a fair wage is, is very important. It's a huge you know, rifle topic right now. So knowing that they're getting their money and that the drivers are getting their money, because again, it's a livable wage. We want people to get paid. Uh, uh, people who are in a position to order food in, are, I believe, are not just looking at the price. I agree with you 200%. And that's mm-hmm. what the data shows. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're marketing throughout the region. We deliver as far out as Frederick, Maryland. Wow. And as far out as Leesburg and as far down as Manassas okay. and Prince George's County. Well, so that let me just ask one quick question because we have to wrap up. Sure. But so 
if I'm in Kensington, Maryland, yes, and I want, I don't know where the chef is cooking, right? So if I want these empanadas, and let's say the chef is cooking it out in Virginia, you're still able to make that happen? We'll make that happen. It's not an easy situation, but we're making that happen, and that's why we're drawing the attention that we're getting. Yeah. It's amazing. It's an incredible, incredible concept. And I like the idea. One of the reasons why we originally brought you in was to talk about, like, for back-to-school lunches, you could really, if you hate making lunches or if it's not something you like to do, you could really order that in. Put it in your freezer or put it in your fridge and lunch is ready to go, right? Back-to-school lunches. And then think about friends of yours that are having birthdays or friends of yours that just came out of surgery or just gave birth. Mm. They don't want to cook for the next four to six weeks. You know, you treat it kind of like a bridal registry, if you will, where you're providing meals for a week or two so that Susie or Bill won't have to cook. That's great. We can do that. That is brilliant. Okay, please tell everybody where they can you're find brilliant, you. John. Online. <laughs> tell everybody where they can find you, please, online so, so, and on Insta. Yes, yeah, so um, eatdindin.com, mm-hmm. um, www.eatdindin.com. And, of course, if you Google uh, Dindin on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, you'll see us there as well. Excellent. Thanks, John. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. so do we. Okay. Uh, up next, we are going to talk about the DMV Food Recovery Week. Hey, Jenna, how are you? Hi. I'm Hi, doing great. Jenna. Great, Jenna Umbriak. She is with Mana. I like Mana better. Thank you, Nikki. Director of Sounds more educated. I, you know. (laughs) I'll tell our CEO that. Maybe we can do a rebranding. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, right. That's your focus. So (laughs) for people who aren't aware of your amazing organization, let's just give them a quick uh, elevator speech, please. Yeah, sure. So Mana Food Center is the largest food assistance center serving Montgomery County. We provide direct food distribution to families in the county. We also provide food education. We teach youth and adults how to prepare healthy food. And we advocate for food system improvements that will improve food security for all people in the county. Uh, It's such an incredible organization. And you guys do so much. And you work with so many different people here. I mean, you're like an octopus with all your different tentacles (laughs) and what you do. So how does DMV Food Recovery Week fit into your mission? Yeah, well, first I'll say um, to your octopus comment, to the last time I was on the show, this was Community Food Rescue Week. Right. And since then, we've partnered with the DC Food Recovery Work Group to really bring it a regional focus to this issue. So uh, how it pertains to our mission we see the problem of food waste really in, intricately connected to the problem of food security. Um, we know that we want to conserve our resources, use the labor and the water and the and the food that's produced locally as well as we can. We don't want to see it unnecessarily wasted because it's particularly uh, a sort of slap in the face to the 40 million people in the country who are food insecure if we're just throwing out, out a whole bunch of food. And we know that 40% of the food in the country never gets to fulfill its intended purpose of ending mm. up on someone's plate. So, how, so let's talk about this week and what's happening. And, you know, Food waste is a huge topic of conversation, but it's it's so difficult, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking like right now, what's in my fridge? And I know that there are things that are going to go to waste and it's wrong and I know it and I will put it in compost. But at the end of the day, even that's not good enough, right? Like it mm-hmm. should serve its purpose. It should be eaten or be, been put mm-hmm. in a dish or something like that. 
Yeah, you're right to say it's a difficult issue. It's a big one. And I think the the best approach is to tackle it from lots of different angles. So that's mm -hmm. what we're trying to do with this week is really providing, we have uh, a session where we're talking to farmers because a lot of this happens um, at the producer side and how can we better connect farmers to consumers to make sure that that food does get used well. Right. And we're also talking to people on a very personal level, like the individuals like you who don't want to unnecessarily waste food in their fridge. So trying to create spaces where people can share good ideas. How did you use the food that you got in your CSA? Or how did you use um, that jar of uh, sun-dried tomatoes that you, you know, only needed a smidge for that recipe and the rest of it went in your refrigerator for later. Like um, for so six trying weeks. to share good ideas mm -hmm. at the personal level, but also looking at the systemic level. Mm -hmm. You really have to do both. Well, and then you've got the, the food stores that if it's got a bruise or there's one cracked egg, you know, they'll chuck it. But, I mean, for consumers, is it really more a case of buy less and eat more? In other words, don't don't or buy all that it's stuff. It's actually buy smarter. <laughs> it's really about buying smarter, right? Like, we as Americans go to these massive grocery stores and think, oh, I'm only going to go to the grocery store once this week and I'm, I'm going to buy all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Europe or in Asia, yeah. you know, they go every day. So they really buy for what they need. It's really our culture. Yeah, right. you're right. And there are other factors as well. I mean, we have when you go to the store, um, there are dates on all the food packages, but we those dates don't really mean anything. And they're totally arbitrary. Subscribe. <laughs> exactly. But we ascribe a lot of value to them. And many people, understandably, won't eat food past that date. But it's safe to consume for days, months, sometimes even years past the date. So there are also systemic uh, challenges that really promote unnecessary food waste in mm -hmm. addition to yeah going to the store with a list making sure you're not necessarily making all those impulse buys and then having to figure out later what to do with that thing that you purchased so we're again this week is filled with a lot of virtual options we've got 12 different events but a lot of virtual sessions that will help people learn more about we were uh, your last guest was just talking about the importance of food safety mm -hmm. um and so learning about that and how that plays into the whole problem. Well, well that's one of your first things, keeping rescued food exactly. safe. I was actually kind of interested in that because I was like, why wouldn't food be safe? Like, what is, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't it be safe? But I do understand we're talking about shelf life and our misconceptions of what when food is good and when food is bad. We don't trust ourselves. Right. Well, you know, you, you can use your senses to determine whether food is safe, smell it, you right. can taste a little bit of it. But also there are a lot of foodborne um, bacteria that you can't smell or taste. So that session is really um, meant to instruct you as to what are the threats, what are the few important threats to food safety. And if as long as you're paying attention to those and storing the food properly, washing your hands well, those sorts of practices, then you can trust that your food is going to be safe and you're not going to make these last minute guesses and end up throwing something away when you didn't need to. Well, can I ask a question? And this isn't specifically you know, on your list of activities, but mm -hmm. uh, you get a group like uh, Cuisine Solutions that invented sous vide. And they're now working on on ways of maxing out the the you know nutrition value of basically scraps. You know, you you take a mushroom and cut it up for a meal, but you've got the stem, and most people throw that away or they they use compost. But the reality is, there's nutrition in there, and they're teaching restaurants how to get more out of it. Is that something mm -hmm. that can benefit you? 
Absolutely. And actually, it is part of the week. So again, I mentioned that we're partnering with the DC Food Recovery uh, Work Group, and mm -hmm. they have an event on Wednesday, October 6th called Restaurant Rescue, how district restaurant, restaurants are saving food and feeding people. So uplifting some of those really creative chefs at some local restaurants who are using um, the parts of the food that maybe we wouldn't have considered before. Like right. the classic one is often carrot tops. Right. Yeah. Or say, oh, I, I you know, I don't know what to do with that, but carrot top pesto and many, many, many other examples of what you could do. So we often limit ourselves in terms of what we think of as edible uh, when we pull something out of the ground. Um, Can we so also talk about the food rescue that you're doing on October 5th? Because I, I, I think the future of food recovery is so important. It's such a hot button issue. How are you guys going about sort of educating people on how they, the layperson, how the layperson can participate. Yeah, well, there are many opportunities. We ourselves at Community Food Rescue, we are always looking for volunteers to be food runners. So mm -hmm. those are individuals who take their own vehicle and move food through the system from donor to recipient organization. Um, our partner organization, Food Rescue US in, in DC and Prince George's County, also looking for volunteers to do the same. Mm -hmm. And then like we've been saying, those things that you can do in your own home um, and also things you can advocate for. So that session, I think, are you referring to the emerging actors in the future of food recovery? Mm -hmm, on October yeah, 5th, yeah. Exactly. So. We've got great partnerships there. We've got some um, food recipient organizations who have been processing food. So again, the last, I was really interested to hear about the Din Din um, mm -hmm. program because often having the ability to process food is a great way to, for us uh, in our systems to reduce food waste because some of the food isn't in a, uh, a condition where we want to just pass it along as is, but if we can take those apples and turn them into applesauce or take those tomatoes and turn them into something else, mm -hmm. um, that's so you'll hear about different innovations like that if you um, come to that session on. The so show. can we give everybody just because um, we are running out of time, just yeah. how they get involved with this week, how many sessions there are, where they mm -hmm. can find everything. I mean, I could go down of such course. a rabbit hole with you. It's, <laughs> it's a, a very important topic to me, but um, let's just give everybody all the yeah. four in one, please. Of course. So the easiest way is to go to dmvfoodrecoveryweek.org mm -hmm. and you'll see the list of the 12 events we have from October 4th through October 9th. October 9th is sort of the capstone activity. We've been doing this for four years. It's our no waste, big taste cooking competition. Mm. So I would really encourage people to come down to downtown Silver Spring on Ellsworth Drive on that day. It's 11 o'clock and you'll see uh, teams of local chefs competing to use um, some of those recovered foods in really creative ways. I love it. I think it's so great. Everything that, all the events will be on the list or you want it.com, of course. Uh, but you can also go to the website. And uh, this is not, even though it's a special week, it's something that you should all uh, figure out a way to incorporate in your life every day. So, uh, Jenna, thank you so much for joining us today. This is David and Nikki Nellis, 13 years of Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. This is the end of uh, 13 years and the start of 14, our 14th year on the air. Mm -hmm. um, the studio audience is very happy, aren't they, Andy? <laughs> Look at that. And today's special, they each paid 100 bucks to attend the show, so yeah. right, I'll be right, leaving right. for Italy shortly. Okay. Um, our next guest is a really creative guy. His name is Luis Sayrolls. He's out of Houston, Texas. And he's the uh, the founder of Sante Foods, and he has come up with um, keto friendly meringue cookies that have also 
CBD in them. They're delicious. They're fun to eat and eat and eat and eat. Right, Louise? <laughs> and there's so many flavors. I know, right. and there's so but many flavors. But I feel flavors. like we should figure out. Uh, Louise, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'd love to find out how you got into the food world and how you started doing all this. Sure, thank you. Thank you for having me here. Uh, I'm originally from Mexico. Um, this, this idea that I had uh, three years ago, um, I, I spoke with a longtime friend of mine, Sergio Ramos, and told him uh, what I wanted to do. And it was kind of like a, a yeah, I wanted to take the, the uh, an old uh, recipe, take the, the, the bad stuff out and put the good stuff in. Hmm. It's a, a traditional recipe that is common in Spain, in Italy, in France, and in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to develop a less than two calorie uh, meringue bite, uh, sweet snack. And we started working on the, the concept on 2018. Uh, we were meeting twice twice a week in the public library. Then the, um, the World Cup came. We are fans of, of soccer. So we, we changed from the public library to a, a restaurant. We saw the, the, the World Cup in the morning and then continued working on the concept <laughs> of, of, of day. So uh, by, by 2019, we got everything uh, set up, ready. We, we started um, going to venues, events, uh, you name it, in order to put the, the product in everybody's mouth because it was very complicated to explain what was it. So um, it turned out to be very good. In fact, uh, in 2019, we also um, went into a competition that ATD does here in Texas looking for the best product of Texas. And out of uh, 1,200 participants, we won one of the 10 finalists. Wow. And that <laughs> made us become uh, vendors for HEB. Well, so, so we haven't said what the product is. You're, like, oh, yeah, referring to it, but you're not explaining what the concept, like, what these are and why you decided, like, what's the difference between a meringue cookie and your meringue? Okay. The, the difference is that, what we what we what we have put on on, on the product is uh, completely natural natural products. Uh, it it has a sugar substitute. The regular line has uh, it's made of maltitol, and the diabetic and keto line are made out of uh, isomalt. So that's why they they have uh, less than two calories. Okay, so you found ways to make a meringue cookie uh, with out sugar or different or low sugar so that um, it's either keto friendly or diabetic friendly and uh, and with flavors right yes uh, we started we started with six flavors we started with three product lines which is the regular the the, the keto and the diabetic mm-hmm. and as Andrew said um, by the end of 2019 we we also uh, launched a, a CBD line which is called uh, black sheep I don't know why, but it's, it's, it's so <laughs> uh-huh. So um, right now we have four product lines. Uh, we just uh, increased three more uh, flavors, which is the cotton candy, the birthday cake, and the caramel. Yes, we have all of them. So why CBD? What made you decide to add CBD to the cookie? Well, not not all of them have CBD. Just no, I the, know. No, just yeah, a specific the, one. The, the, the black sheep. Uh, we. We 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 went into that that uh, venue or that line because we 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 were, we were seeing that 
um, every every everywhere in, in the United States, uh, the CBD was very hype. It, it was uh, interesting, and right now it's it's working very well. We just did a a um, a venture with a uh, with a company called uh, CBD Emporium, mm-hmm. and it, it's going very well. The 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 sale of the product. Well, so, you're in, you're, I mean, you, very well is hardly a way of describing it. You're already in 8,000 plus stores. Thank you very much. Yeah, That's... we started, we started last year, as I, I said, as I mentioned on, on January, two months before COVID. And we started with HEV. Then uh, on, on May, we jumped uh, with uh, Bucky's, which is all, which is also an icon here in, in Texas. Then uh, a month later, we went into a Rite Aid. A month later, we went into uh, TJ Maxx, Marshalls, and Homewoods. That's and insane. Right yeah. now, right now we are also in Canada and touching touching base in U- UK, um, Poland, and Germany. So, how hard is it to scale up from nothing to eight thousand stores in about a year and? And three with quarters? all the different SKUs, because yeah. you have all these different flavors. It's been very hard. I used to have hair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, I can tell so you how to get it back. <laughs> it's been it's been a, a, a huge accomplishment. I think we are a, a great team. We profit from all our strengths, and uh, we have we have we started uh, us us two. Then we jump into being uh, eight eight uh, a team, and right now we are almost thirty. So, so how did you do it? Talk a little bit about the back end of this, because did you get a distributor who went out and sold all these stores tj maxx and marshall's well i'm also interested like in the packaging and keeping them fresh like this is not this is something that like massive corporations do and you guys had this idea and brought it to fruition that's not easy right yes it's 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 very complicated because we uh being being a product that is completely natural it's a it's a it's a, it's a challenge in time in terms of time because we have once once it gets out of the of the oven we have to put it in the bag immediately because uh, of not not having any preservatives at, at all so mm. it is it is a challenge in that sense and um, answering your question uh, regarding distribution uh, we are we we right now are not with any distributors we do it uh, completely by ourselves we distribute directly to all the DCs. Wow, you went and knocked on doors? You, that must yes, have been mind-blowing because, first of all, it's very hard to do that. I've been in, on that end of a business, and it's a, it's it's tough. And the fact yes. that they, I mean, they, they immediately went for it, so your price points are right, too. That's correct. That's, yeah, that's what we've been doing in the 20, 22 months now. Oh. And so now what's next for you? How do you guys get this in more hands? Like, Keto friendly is interesting to me because I know it's it it is a huge diet trend. But was it something that you were already like? Do you keep a keto diet? Like why why use keto as a way of spreading your message? Uh, the, the I think I think again uh, the the keto the diabetic and the regular there are um, they're targeted for for each particular audience in that sense. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we wanted because we thought that uh, doing that we were hitting every every single uh, um, audience uh, looking for something specific in that sense. And talking about future, we are right now uh, launching uh, two more two more product lines different. One is going to be in the in the salty uh, department, if you will, and the other one is going to be a, a cookie. 
So yeah, we with by, the by same it. idea in mind, being natural, no preservatives, and that's, fitting for uh, the diabetic community and the keto community, or it, it's going to be under the under, under the healthy umbrella, if you will. So okay. We, 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 the Sante, Sante is uh, at the end is it, if you take one T out, it means it means uh, health in, in French. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, we just put another uh, a double T. So okay. that's 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 our our main goal, and that's what we've been doing since the beginning. Excellent. All right. Well, can you tell everybody where they can find you online? Online, we are at titbits.fun, and also we are in Amazon. We are in Walmart.com, uh, mm-hmm. and um, great. You're everywhere. Yes, you are. Well, thank you so much for joining us and uh, for sending us all these terrific treats. It was and great to get do a little taste. Not only time. that, congratulations! I mean, you hit the ball over the fence here. Thank you, thank you very much, and likewise, congratulations for your 13 years and coming 14 years. Thank, thank you. you, thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for Louise. your time this morning. All right, so um, up next is Sabrina Kent. Um, there is a really cool initiative happening right now um nationally but i know about it here in dc um so the national lbgt chamber of commerce uh is in partnership with grubhub and they are putting together this grant available for restaurants that are allies and uh owned by the lbgtq community so sabrina thanks so much for joining us today Hey, Nikki. Hey, David. Happy 13 years. Very happy to be here with y'all. It's um, great to have you in. So let's talk a little bit about the NGLCC and what it is initially. I got to give you props for the acronyms. You powered through that. Yeah. So I know they're a mouthful. They're a mouthful. She said LBGT at the beginning. Okay. Well, you know, you guys know DC is all about the acronyms. So uh, we're the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. Uh, We certify businesses that are majority owned, operated and controlled by uh, an LGBT person or persons to help them gain access to contracting opportunities with our corporate uh, partners. We work with about 350 uh, Fortune 1000 firms and we have 53 affiliates here in the US and about 25 more globally. So we're in 30 countries at this point. And the whole idea is expanding opportunities for the LGBT entrepreneur. Well, you know, I didn't even really know about you all and what you do, which completely makes sense because, you know, there's like women-owned businesses and, you know, there's yeah. other associations and groups you can join so that you can have access to to funds for specifically, you know, minority-owned businesses and et cetera. So I did not know that there was one for the um, LGBTQ community. Well, can I just ask, because it's almost like a scholarship program, um, I, what are the criteria for a restaurant to, so, I mean, in other words, you got to be in... Wait, we haven't explained the program yet. Well, You're it's, a little early. It's a grant program. <laughs> I know, but we haven't discussed what it is all in the right, partnership. All right, all right. I'm jumping to it. Hey, uh, Sabrina, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, you're going to give us everything, okay? This is David Bye. and Nikki Nellis. We'll be back in just a sec. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Sabrina Kent from the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce about a program they have. It's really a, a, a restaurant rescue program, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. We're really excited to be able to team up with Grubhub to give away nearly $2 million to LGBTQ uh, and allied establishments to help them in the recovery from COVID, right? We know that this has been 
an industry that has been so hard hit over the last 20 months. Uh, and so this is a first of its kind program to help to help the LGBTQ and allied uh, restaurant Well, community. let me ask you a question. What does that mean? I mean, I know what an ally means as an ally, but as an allied business, what does that mean? Yeah, I think that's a really good question and it's an important one, right? Because I think having a pride flag in the window is not enough to qualify you as an ally. So the application and for those wanting to learn more, nglcc.org slash ghgrant, um, we're going to be evaluating different things uh, as it relates to the restaurant's clientele, their reach, their track record of support for the community, their public benefit, and so forth, right? So just saying that I'm an ally isn't enough. There needs to be a proven track record behind it. No, I appreciate that. I do think it's important. And there are, and I mean, in the D.C. area, uh, you know, it's an allied-filled community, you know, and you're right. They're not just doing flags. They do fundraisers and uh it's a very, very involved community. So what? let's talk a little bit about the what it takes to apply for this grant, what you guys are looking for, how big are the grants. Let's, let's get into the nitty gritty. Yeah, absolutely. So grants are going to be awarded from $5,000 up to $100,000, depending wow. on the evidence of need as indicated in the application. We're going to be evaluating profit and loss due to COVID. Um, I think it's really important to say that um, the establishments must serve food, but they do not need to be formally, um, you know, uh, partnered with Grubhub or certified business of the NGLCC in order to qualify. This is for anyone that can meet the criteria of serving food, being LGBTQ owned and or allied owned. Right. Um, so I think what people wanted to be clear that these are not for bars, right? And correct. not that bars don't have their own issues, but it is for people who serve food food. It is for businesses that serve food. Correct. Right. Correct. And if the bar has a substantial food menu, and I'm not talking just popcorn for you to stick your hand into, if they have a substantial food menu, then they could qualify as well. Okay. And so how do they go about, what's the process? How does it work? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, head over to nglcc.org slash ghgrant. Mm -hmm. You're going to you're going to reach the application form there. It's going to ask you some different questions about your LGBTQ or allied background. And the biggest thing is going to be your evidence of need or what, what you will use the funds for, right? There's not going to be an expectation of repayment later on. So I, it's also not a PPP or restaurant revitalization fund type of application. So it's, mm -hmm. I think, a little less substanti substantial in that regard. But there is going to be a series of qualifying and vetting that's going to take place. And that biggest piece is going to be the evidence of need and support for the community. Where did the funding come from? Is that all from you guys in Grubhub? Did somebody give you a grant? It's a great question. So in the month of June, through Grubhub's Donate the Change campaign, Grubhub diners had the option to round up their change to the nearest dollar to support NGLCC in our community. Mm. We raised a little over $2 million and those funds are now what are we what we're going to be using Smart. to give out these grants. How did you guys wind up with Grubhub? How did that partnership come to fruition? We were so lucky. You know, they came to us. They knew about the work that we were doing. They thought that it would be an awesome opportunity to support the LGBTQ restaurant community in a way that they haven't been supported before. And we said, sign us up and let's see what we can make out of it. And so we developed this program together and we're really excited. You know, not only are we giving, um, we have a goal of 20% to allied businesses. We also have 
uh, we're gonna earmark 30% of those funds going to LGBTQ, person of color and transgender and gender non-conforming owned establishments as well. I was gonna ask if there were gradations in there and how you were going to do that. Because obviously giving funds to a diverse group is so uh, important. So how many how many are you expecting? How many uh, submissions are you expecting? You know, we're expecting a blowout out of the water. We still have 10 more days left in the application period. It closes October 12th. Okay. Um, I think at this point, we're well over 100 submissions and we're going to see a lot more. I think for us, you know, we would have a goal of giving out close to 150 to 200 grants if we can. That's amazing. That's incredible. And then what do you hope? Do people have to tell you what they're going to do with the grants or is it just we're here to help you? We're not going to be saying checking in for formal reporting, saying, how did you use these funds? Uh, you know, we will want to check in with the restaurateur, find out how the funds have supported them and their business over time and, and how they've helped them recover. The biggest thing is we want to know, you know, what the devastation has been to your establishment since COVID and how are you going to use these funds to recover and build back your business? Are there plans to do this? Because this COVID thing is going to go on and on for a while. Um uh, to do this again with maybe Grubhub, but other partners too, and make it a bigger program even? Are you chasing that? You know, I, I love that idea. I, I, why don't you put a bug in Grubhub's ear and say, hey, maybe we could do this again another year. We would love to do that, and we'd love to involve Oh, um, talk to DoorDash, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there are no other companies that, that are, you know, are either resources for these restaurants or that would just like to help, credit card companies, that kind of thing. Um, I was just curious. Well, I think the rounding up is so brilliant because, you know, people don't even realize that just a couple of cents. Well, CBS does that too. You know, I know, you know, and I just, I just think it's really smart because you're like, yeah, I'll round up. It's, you know, it's 65 cents. I can round up. Well, there's your idea. You go to, uh, you know, Visa and you say, she doesn't need your idea. She's already got good ideas. A national roundup campaign and you'll get billions instead of millions. Okay, so let's talk Love about where can people sign on, get more information, and then will there be like inf- like afterwards, like after you give out all the grants, will there be a big announcement of like who got it? You don't have to tell us who got what, but like who got awarded yeah. the grants? Yes, there will be, especially for those that will be the recipients of the 100K grants. We mm-hmm. want to make sure that we're doing big splashes in the local community, making sure that they're businesses are uplifted, but whether they have a 5000 or $100,000 grant, and we're going to be following up, as I said, with these business owners to really see how they've been supported. So again, nglcc.org slash GH grant, and you can also check us out on socials at nglcc, where we also have information about the grant. And for people who are just learning about your organization, is there anything else you can share with us about what you're doing aside from this grant so people can either support you or support more in the LBGTQ community. Or join. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned before, you know, we partner with Fortune 5 companies to work with LGBTQ businesses and their supply chain, but we also support our LGBTQ-owned businesses through education, networking, mentorship programs. Um, We have an RFP concierge that literally helps pair our businesses with opportunities in corporate supply chains, assuming they should qualify. Uh, so for us, our, our goal is to uplift and empower the LGBTQ business owner and, and connect them with opportunity. And we do that through public and private partnerships. That is amazing. Great. I want to talk to you offline because I feel like there's a couple private and public partnerships that would make <laughs> sense 
And I don't know if you have them or you don't have them, but uh, we can get into that later. Well, I want to thank you so much for uh, this is such an incredible uh, system and so well needed for the uh, for the food and hospitality community. Um, and I just love that it's it while it is for the LBGTQ community, it is also for allies. And uh, just because I know about uh, people in the D.C. area and how uh, involved they are. Uh, in the community. So it's just great. But this is a national program, right? This isn't just here. It is. It is a national program. You can be anywhere in the U.S. to qualify. Um, But you're right. I think, you know, the ally piece is so important because in so many places and spaces across the country, our community, the places we congregate are not always LGBTQ on. They are those safe allied spaces. So that was intentional when we built this out. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. uh, I want to say to everybody who How much time do we have, Andy? Do we have a couple of seconds? Yes, we do. I'm curious. Well, I was going to ask you over the last 13 years if there are highs and lows. I can think of one at the moment. Oh, I can think of a couple. Uh, Well, we have been really, really fortunate. The last 13 years have... Uh, seen us talking to so many different and amazing people from the Thomas Kellers and the Wolfgang Pucks and the Jean Georges of the world to uh, people like John with Dinden doing something really creative and new and interesting. And we didn't just do food. We have done shows all about travel. We have done fashion shows. We've really been able to cover the D.C. food, wine and hospitality scene and sometimes a little bit more because... It's our show. We get to do it. What about you, David? Oh, well, my, I have favorite moments. My okay, well, let's do it. My two favorite food moments were Michel Richard and his his short ribs that he cooked in studio that were so good. Well, he didn't cook them in studio, but you he know, opened he, them. He, in, you know, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Prime and his spare ribs, a couple of ribs things. Uh, but I loved it when you got into with it, into it with Richard Sandoval. Oh, I did get into it with Richard Sandoval. That's probably Andy's favorite show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there no. were a couple of beeps and bleeps there. There was. Oh, and Mike Isabella. Mike Isabella, who was so you know happy to be on the show right yes. away. We had to bleep him. <laughs> we had to bleep him too. Uh, anyway, no, we've been really. But he's really been bleeped. Okay, so we've been really fortunate that we, the DC food and wine community, has always been so incredibly supportive of us, and. Um, also, people from around the country and also uh, internationally, we've had winemakers and uh, chefs and uh, people who do really fabulous things, uh, both in studio and now with the advent of Zoom-ish or Ring, uh, we uh, can bring even more people to our studio and therefore to your listeners. So we do want to thank you for joining us every Sunday or for subscribing and downloading us. Um, and we want to thank the community for always uh, coming on board and sharing their stories, because that's really what's most important. Uh, lastly, it is our 25th wedding anniversary on October 5th. You're so lucky. I am really oh. lucky. So oh, uh, happy anniversary to my husband and, and my uh, happy anniversary to Andy for yeah, being Andy with us Mitchell, for the last 13 thir- years. Every minute of the last 13 years. Uh, and everybody, please... Take a listen to some of our old shows because they're terrific and fun. Uh, And do check out everything we talked about today because there are incredible people doing even more incredible things. Uh, Thank you and have a delicious week.